It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Reds, your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The 2020 season did not quite go as planned for Reds fans as the playoffs ended abruptly in the wild card round. Now the Reds are left to pick up the pieces during the offseason and fix a lineup that was the worst in Major League Baseball. How are they going to do it? What are they going to do? Rumors, transactions, news, all here on the Locked On Reds podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Carr. Let's go. What is going on, Reds fans? Welcome in to the Locked On Reds podcast, your weekend edition in the offseason for our Cincinnati Reds. On today's episode, I'm going to tell you three things from the 2020 Reds that kind of confuse me. So a couple of days ago, we talked about the three things that we know from 2020. Here are three things that I was like, what? They kind of just, you know, made you cock an eyebrow, do a Spock, you know, raise an eyebrow at. Uh, We're going to talk about that here in just a minute. But before we get to that, Make sure that you're subscribed. That way you don't miss any off-season episodes here from the Locked On Reds podcast as we break down everything going on with this Reds team, how they take 2020 and continue the winning uh, baseball that we saw. Also, make sure that you follow me on Twitter at Jeff Carr with three Fs and follow the show at Locked On Reds and save the Locked On Reds line number into your phone at 513-549-0159. And actually, I want to start off today with a uh, little bit of a lockdown reds line entry a little bit of jeff's junk mail if you will see good things happen see if you hit up 513-549-0159 our buddy risto down in jacksonville had this to say hey jeff my positives from this 2020 season i'll mention these so i can keep a positive outlook during the offseason number one they did have a winning season if just barely number two they did go to the playoffs number three they gave us a two weeks worth of fun baseball to watch, a rally that come back to make the playoffs. Number four, Joey Votto played close to his potential during the last two weeks of the season. And number five, Trevor Bauer is the front runner to be the first Red to win the Cy Young Award. All in all, an improvement over the previous season. Risto, appreciate the text, man, our buddy down there in Jacksonville. And I'm with you. I mean, you know, there's plenty of positives to glean. I mean, there's quite a few question marks as we head into 2021. But overall, it was a winning record. You can't take that away. They had more wins than losses. And when you look at Joey Votto's performance, he actually falls in line with a couple of guys that during that stretch run of really fun baseball – He played really well. He did really well. And actually, uh, I posted this on the Locked On Red social media accounts on Facebook and Twitter. Today's stat of the day for us Reds fans, Tucker Barnhart had a 943 OPS in 43 at-bats during the month of September. He was a big part of the Reds during their turnaround and uh, subsequent comeback to the postseason. 
And yeah, you can't take that away that they made the postseason. And most importantly, Trevor Bauer should be the National League Cy Young winner and the first ever Red to win the award. That that would be amazing. I mean, I'm with you, Risto. Thanks for the positivity here to start the episode as we're going to kind of look at some things that confused me a little bit. Speaking of confusing, I don't know if anybody's keeping up with the playoffs. That whole walk-off that Carlos Correa hit, that he called his shot, and then he hits a walk-off home run. I got to be honest with you. I mean, I know that most of us hated that. I kind of hated it whenever I watched it. But let's be frank here. If that happened to any other player on just about any other team, I think we would have liked it. It's just it, he's an Astro. So, yeah, we, we're not supposed to like it. That, that's that's just how that goes. All right, let, let's talk about some things here. So three things that confuse me. Because when you look at the 2020 season, we had high expectations. We had high hopes. And they were not unfounded. I mean, we came in with a lot of momentum off this offseason. And even in spring training, there were some encouraging signs before the shutdown, before everything kind of got thrown into a, a frenzy if you will. But when I'm looking at these, these are some things that maybe not necessarily were an issue, uh, maybe not necessarily were in the forefront, but the Reds brought them to the forefront. They made them an issue that we did not expect. Number one, they seem to have a singular hitting philosophy, and they never wavered from it. Think about it. What is the one thing that we heard constantly, even in the two playoff losses. Boy, they're just unlucky. That Babbitt, man, that Babbitt's too low. It needs to be higher. Yeah, oh, okay, okay, I got it. They're unlucky. What are you doing to change your luck? Because it's the game of baseball. These are professional hitters. They should be able to control their own luck. This isn't something where they just flip a coin and, oh, hey, look, it's a hit. If that's the case, let's just play some Stratomatic baseball because what are we doing out here on a live field playing actual real-life baseball if we're so uh, beholden to good or bad luck that when you have such bad luck as the Reds did have, then your lineup is the worst in the National League. And that's not an exaggeration. Statistically, they were the worst in the National League when it comes to batting average and very low on the list on runs scored and, you know, important things like that. And then, of course, the whole deal with homers equal runs, and if there's no homers, there's no runs, that sort of thing. So uh, that that's kind of something that I didn't expect. I mean, I don't think anybody expected this lineup to be the worst, but obviously, just the fact that the story never changed from game one to game 62, the story was, oh boy, they're just unlucky. What are you doing to change that? Uh, what are they doing this offseason to change that? That's going to be a huge question as mostly the changes are going to come in the philosophical sense, not necessarily the roster, transaction, physical move sense. Not not something we're going to see a lot of this offseason. So how do they change that? How do they get better from that? I, I don't necessarily think that this was a launch angle deal. I mean, we talked a little bit about the Nitro statistic that Eno Saris talked about. And here this weekend, I'm going to work on a blog post that gets a little bit more in-depth into this. But I, I don't see how you can constantly hit with the same philosophy, knowing that game in and game out, you're getting the same results. There's not a whole lot of games that you look at and say, boy, that is the game that really turned around 
the lineup. There's just some games where is like they flip the switch. All of the hits that were out a couple of days ago are now hits, and then you flip a switch again tomorrow, and those hits are back to outs. I, I just I think that there could have been something done a little bit more to fix all of that, and that's number one. That's the first thing that was not an issue that became an issue, and will continue to be an issue, frankly, until they prove otherwise here in 2021. Got a couple of more things for you here. Before we get into those, though, you guys got to check out Built Bar. If you have not already done so, they are the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, and they're going to up your snack game like you wouldn't believe. Like, imagine your snack game is Homer Bailey and Built Bar is Trevor Bauer. That's how good I'm talking about here. They've got some amazing flavors as well. You look at mint chocolate brownie. You've got cho- uh, cherry barcia. You've got chocolate coconut. All of these amazing flavors and more cookies and cream. It's so many to count. Check them out at builtbar.com and enter the promo code locked on because you're going to get 20% off your next order. That's an even better deal than last week. Whenever I was telling you that you get $10 off. Now you get 20% off your entire order at builtbar.com. They also got built go, which is an amazing power gel type thing. That's like a pre-workout. It's going to help you get energized for your workout. Or if you just need a boost, if you're sitting around feeling a little bit low, built go is going to help you with that as well. So check out builtbar.com for the built bar, the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar and built go as well. And enter that promo code of locked on to get 20% off your next order of amazingly nutritious and specifically delicious built bar. We're talking today about issues and things like that that confuse me from the 2020 Reds, things that did not exist as a question mark that turned into question marks, turned into problems for the 2020 Reds. And and remember, these are three things that I've come up with. If you've got a couple of things that confused you, hit me up on the Locked On Reds line, 513-549-0159, or on Twitter, at Jeff Carr with three Fs, and at Locked On Reds on Twitter and Facebook. Because these are obviously things that we can cover all off-season. It's not necessarily something I can talk about today and then we're done with them. It's stuff that we're going to be looking at how the Reds can fix this stuff. Now, issue number two, something that I uh, really thought about. I thought about all season because we saw this guy a lot. And I, I don't mean this as a personal slight to him, definitely. But issue number two that confused me is just Nate Jones. Look, I love the story. I love the fact that he grew up in northern Kentucky just across the river. He was a local guy, loved the Reds growing up, always wanted to pitch for the Reds. The Reds bring him in as a non-roster invitee, looking to see if he's healthy, looking to see what he can bring to the table for the Reds. And that was all well and good. And even in July, he had a couple of good appearances where you're thinking, all right, this is probably a dude at the back end of this bullpen, uh, not necessarily one of the first guys you want to see out of the bullpen, not necessarily a dude that you're going to be leaning on in close situations, but the Reds kind of have him in their back pocket, so to speak, in the bullpen. Because in three innings pitched in July, He looked pretty good. He gave up two hits, and he had four strikeouts, no walks allowed. He did give up the one homer, but overall a pretty nice uh, start to the season. But it seemed like from then on, he was on the forefront 
of David Bell's mind when it came to who am I bringing out of the bullpen. He was one of the first right-handers out of the bullpen on a regular basis, and I do not understand that. I get it that Pedro Strope was a little bit rough around the edges and they ended up parting ways with him kind of quickly. I don't know if maybe they gave him a fair shot, but there's probably some more behind-the-scenes stuff there that we aren't privy to. However, Nate Jones became relied upon heavily, and that was not a good thing because when you look at uh, his stats, obviously for the season, 6.27 ERA in 18 and two-thirds innings. That's not good. According to baseball reference, he was worth negative wins above replacement. So they could have gone out and found any other right-handed reliever and probably would have been better than him. And let's do this whole thing. We, we love, uh, when we're looking at the statistics of a guy who struggled, we love to break down the splits. Where, where can we find something that makes it sound better than it is? There's not really much here. I mean, when you look at his platoon splits, right-handers, left-handers didn't matter. Both had over a 900 OPS against him. They hit him, and they hit him a lot. When you look at his uh, home-and-away splits, not much better. In fact, he had a 5.2 ERA at home. He had an 8.1 ERA on the road. So, okay, he was better at home. Not really somebody you want to get out of the gate. And then after the month of July that I mentioned, three nice appearances. He had 18 total appearances after the month of July for a total of 15 and two-thirds innings and an ERA of 6.89. Not very good at all. He gave up four home runs in those 15 and two-thirds innings with six walks compared to 19 strikeouts. He did still have a nice strikeout total, so there's something I guess. And he had one or two appearances that you can think, okay, well, he came in and he did the job that the Reds needed him to do. But overall, for the most part, he was a detriment. And they never seemed to reevaluate that. They kept running him out there. They kept relying on him. And because of that, I feel like they cost themselves a couple of games. I feel like there are a couple of games you can point to that they brought in Nate Jones first out of the bullpen and very quickly the game turned on its head and the Reds ended up losing that game. So when you look at something like that and you say, okay, Here's this local guy with a great story. We're looking to see if he's healthy. We're looking to see what the Reds can get, can get out of him. And then all of a sudden, they're relying so heavily upon him that he becomes an issue. He becomes a detriment to the team. That just confused me. Why on earth did they give so much leeway to a non-roster invitee? That, that is something that uh, I, I, I will not understand. So, okay. We looked at the hitting philosophy. We looked at Nate Jones. We've come to the third and final thing that I'm confused about today. And I know the the overall tone of today's episode isn't that positive. I'm normally a very bubbly and positive guy. I I get that. But today, I just wanted to point out some things that I'm like, yeah, what's up with this? Lastly, and uh, this is something that kind of was an issue going into the year. This did not crop up uh, really out of nowhere during the season, but it became a huge issue with the struggles and trials and travails of Freddie Galvis. And that is plan B at shortstop going into the season was Kyle Farmer. Look, Kyle Farmer is great as a utility player. He, I love having him on the bench. I feel like he's a great personality in the dugout for the Reds as well. He's a very awesome teammate, 
He's a nice uh, bat and glove late in the game if you need him. I do not want to see Kyle Farmer as the everyday shortstop. If he's got to play somewhere every day, maybe second base, maybe third base, uh, maybe first base, uh, maybe you see him at catcher one or two times. I don't know. I don't. I, I, I know that he's got a glove for shortstop. He's not a guy that I want the Reds relying on at shortstop. And I've heard a couple of people mention his name as a possibility for the Reds shortstop in 2021. Dear Lord, I hope that's not what the plan is. D- don't get me wrong. Like I mentioned, I'm not I'm not saying this as a personal attack on Kyle Farmer. I'm just looking at how everything flows and there are options out there. We talked about Marcus Simeon on yesterday's podcast, an interesting option. We're going to talk next week about a couple other guys, including Andrelton Simmons. And if you remember that name, you know that he's a pretty good shortstop. He's probably going to be available on the free agent market. He's listed as a potential free agent this offseason. So there's going to be options out there. And I felt like... There might have been options, at least as a backup shortstop, not necessarily somebody that the Reds expected to take over for Freddie Galvis at some point this past season, but there were options on the open market for free agent shortstops. Because then the plan came, okay, well, Freddie Galvis is struggling both in the line, oh, both with the bat and the glove. So what do we do next? Okay, well, Kyle Farmer, let's let's roll with him. He kind of looked decent at the plate. I'll say that. He he looked okay. I'm not going to say he, he he didn't look great. He didn't look good, but he looked okay. So, all right, let's give him some run. Yeah, not really uh, what we were hoping for. I, I So why was he plan B? Why wasn't there not uh, – wow, that was a great sentence. Why was there not a better plan for shortstop at plan B? Because then you go to plan C, which is uh, see if Jose Garcia is ready. He was with the glove. He wasn't with the bat. I think we all kind of figured that. Uh, that was something preseason, even back in spring training, before everything got turned on its head, that I wondered about. Because we saw the talent on display during the spring training games from Jose Garcia, but we also knew that that was spring training. We knew that he was facing opposition that either A, was a major league opposition, but they were just trying to get loose, get their arms ready. They weren't really pitching a, you know, 100%. To Jose Garcia, or he was facing minor league opposition, the kind of pitchers he really needed to see for the entire year because he hadn't played above double A. So, yeah, I, I don't necessarily understand why that was. The, that's the only mark that I put against the front office that there wasn't a better plan B at shortstop. But that that was obviously a huge issue because as we got down to crunch time, as we got to the point in September where we all realized, wow, they've done everything they need to do to put themselves in playoff position. What are we going to do at shortstop? Because then it wasn't about, all right, Jose Garcia needs to get some more reps. Now it was about winning the game today and who gave them the best shot on the roster to do that. And it was a toss-up because Freddie Galvis was not proving to be a surefire thing and neither was any of the other options. So maybe they could have had a better plan B at shortstop. But overall, I thought that was a, a weird thing to enter the season with no bona fide backup and just saying, well, you know, we got Kyle Farmer. He can play shortstop. I, I like him as a utility man. I don't like him as an everyday shortstop. So that's the three things. 
the hitting philosophy, Nate Jones, and playing B at shortstop this past season that confused me. We talked about the things that we know, the things that we knew for sure a couple of days ago. Coming up next Monday, I'm going to talk to you about the question marks that still remain, the open questions that we began the 2020 season with and we got no answers for. That's going to be coming up on Monday. We'll have some more uh, look at shortstop candidates and much more Red Stock as we move through the offseason. So make sure that you are subscribed. That way you don't miss any of the Red Stock. You can get your daily dose of Reds. Hopefully I can bring some joy to your Reds fan life here on the Locked On Reds podcast. Follow me on Twitter at Jeff Carr with three Fs and follow the show at Locked On Reds on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as well. That's going to do it for us here today. Now, tell your smart device to play Locked On MLB. Everyone have a great weekend. I will talk to you on Monday. Let's go, Rex. Hey. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.